Hi friends, it's Brittany Moses, and you're listening to the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast, the podcast at the intersection of faith, mental health, and wellness, where we get to dive into expert insights and the realities of those with lived experience to help us live more insightful, connected, and wholehearted lives. We understand that the views shared here are respectively held by each individual and is not a substitute for professional care or an alternative to seeking personal help from your clinician or provider and is ours to discern. So sit with us. This podcast episode is brought to you by UHSM HealthShare, a unique healthcare membership on a mission to create holistic wellness for the mind, body, and spirit. I'm honored to partner with UHSM and its community of faithful members. Together, we plan to create more awareness and programs around mental health and the role it plays in our overall balanced health. If you or someone you know is frustrated with their current health care, I encourage you to inquire about membership options at www.uhsm.com or call 1-800-900-8476. Friend, have you heard the news? I'm officially releasing my first book this summer with Dayspring Publishing. It feels wild saying that, but I have been behind the scenes writing away and it is happening. It's called Worthy, 50 Mindful Moments to Bring Peace and Clarity to Your Day. And honestly, it is the book that I've been wanting to read. Listen, have you found yourself feeling more anxious and overwhelmed in today's cultural climate? Has the modern social media world and hustle culture left you on a roller coaster of feeling insecure and inadequate no matter how much you do? Or do you tend to struggle with people pleasing in order to feel valuable and worthy? You are certainly not alone. Many of us have been struggling at the intersection of our faith and our mind in today's world. So whether you need a total digital detox or just a little more balance, I've truly aimed to gather the information and inspiration to help you feel a little more refreshed, more clear, and more at peace within each day. These 50 faith-inspired devotions are integrated with helpful psychological tips and insights to reset each day with a grounded mind and spirit. I wish you had this in your hands in front of you because you'll see that it has a beautiful, simplistic design with short yet impactful messages of peace and clarity, along with inspirational quotes and affirmations and mental health trackers so readers will be able to declutter your mind, check in with your mental health, and focus on how to show up with intention for each day. In essence, this interactive devotional is designed to help you, one, practice a more grounded and internal sense of security. Two, realign with your values and convictions to show up confidently as your true self. Three, refresh your faith with the hope and peace of God's word. Four, develop the psychological tools to better cope with anxiety and overwhelm. And five, redefine the necessary boundaries for your overall mental, emotional, and spiritual health, and so much more. Within Worthy, get ready to reclaim your days with a sound mind to show up confidently for the life God has called you to live. You can grab the book on Amazon or dayspring.com or Barnes and Noble and really wherever books are sold. And the links to order will be in the show notes below. So be sure to check it out. Now let's dive into today's show. This episode discusses topics and examples of abuse, including sexual abuse, child abuse, and spiritual abuse, which may be sensitive or triggering for some. So please continue to listen at your own discretion. 
Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast. So looking forward to today's episode as we're talking about the spiritual impact of trauma. You know, we've talked quite a bit on this podcast about the outcomes of spiritual abuse or religious trauma. Um, And so today I have Victor Veith with me to talk about when faith hurts. And so I think this conversation is hopefully going to be if not healing and affirming, than an educational experience. But Victor, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing well. How are you, Brittany? I'm doing good. For those who aren't familiar, can you tell us a bit about yourself and what led into the work that you're doing today? Sure. Um, I graduated from law school way back in 87. I was idealistic. I wanted to do something that was noble, and I ended up as a job in a county attorney's office, and they signed me to uh, a child protection case, termination parental rights case, that profoundly impacted me, and I, I thought, gosh, this is this is what I want to do. And so I was a prosecutor for a decade, then I went to our nation's capital, worked with the National Center for Prosecution of Child Abuse, and then came home to Minnesota under federal grant to uh, help uh, universities improve uh, education on this uh, subject. And then um, uh, we uh, formed the group, the Zero uh, Abuse uh, Project, and uh, uh, we primarily train. We do a lot of training, technical assistance to child abuse investigators and prosecutors, but we also do a fair amount of work on the intersection of religion and child abuse. So we also train faith leaders uh, as well. I love that so much. And one of the reasons I love having this space on the podcast is to be able to bring voices like yours um, into the conversation, especially from those who may not be familiar with your work or may not even be knowing that this type of work is happening. Um, So super honored for you to be uh, sharing that with us today. So you know, you've, you've given presentations on this and you've helped with trainings on this. And I got to see some of those, which I took a lot of interest in and something that you talk about are spiritual injuries. And that term really stuck out to me, spiritual injuries, because we know and are familiar with physical injuries, you know, um, but there are injuries that aren't always physical that are still devastating to our lives and detrimental and can even be more longstanding um, and have a longer and harsher psychological impact than maybe a physical injury. So I love that you've brought an awareness to this term. And one of the things I want to ask, and maybe there's not a sure answer, maybe it's only speculation at this point, but why do we tend to bypass spiritual injuries? Like we pay attention to other types of injuries, but I don't hear spiritual injuries being talked about in this way as much. I think there's a couple of reasons. Uh, oftentimes the spiritual impact of trauma comes out during the course of a child abuse investigation, and uh, most secular professionals are just not uh, trained in the research on this subject. And so even if they wanted to do something, they uh, often don't know what to do. Even if they do know uh, uh, what to do, they're often reluctant to do so because they have a misunderstanding of the separation of uh, church and state. They think they're crossing a boundary they're not allowed to do. Um, And then uh, you have uh, faith leaders who are also poorly equipped. Uh, We did a a study way back in 2014. We looked at every 
accredited seminary in the United States, we could only find 3% that had any education on child abuse, much less the sort of education we would uh, recommend. So if you're a survivor of abuse, you have been impacted spiritually as a result of the trauma, there often is very few places you can turn. You can't often turn to the secular community because they just uh, are not fluent in the research, don't know what to do, and often your faith leaders are, are often ignorant uh, as as well. And so that's something our organization is trying to improve. We're trying to improve the knowledge of the secular community and the faith community and trying to get both communities to work uh, together for the betterment of uh, child abuse uh, uh, victims and adult survivors of maltreatment. Yeah, yeah, that's, oh, that's so, I'm so glad you brought that up. Obviously, it's something that we need more equipping in on both sides. Um, but also, I, I think I've experienced or I've seen and witnessed this, this spiritual bypassing where if someone has expressed a spiritual injury, it's just kind of like swept aside by terms like, well, you know, people are imperfect or, you know, the church isn't imperfect and people are imperfect. So, you know, it's going to be messy sometimes, but you know, you hold on to God's word. It's not a reflection of God, which is true, but it's almost made in a bypassing way. And you speak about the impact of abuse on spirituality, which is so specific. And I appreciate that you do this work. And that's why this is important because there is an impact um, when there are these spiritual injuries. And so can you share a little bit about what is the impact of abuse on a person's spirituality? Sure. Uh, there's a large body of research on this subject, and I, we can say from that research that at least um, um, a majority of those uh, who are uh, abused in one or more ways are not only impacted physically and emotionally, but also spiritually. And that can happen in a couple of ways. Oftentimes, offenders incorporate religion into the abuse of the child. Um, um, I consulted on a case where the father was the perpetrator. He tucked his daughter into bed uh, at night, made her say her bedtime prayers, then sexually assaulted her. And then he said, see, uh, uh, you just prayed. You just asked for God's protection, yet God didn't intervene. God didn't stop me from touching you. So obviously God uh, uh, was okay with uh, or even sanctioned uh, the maltreatment. So oftentimes offenders incorporate religion into the abuse of a child. Uh, another common game I've I've seen offenders play, a child may be touched, they may have uh, a reaction in their body, and then that reaction is cited as proof, oh, you're equally to blame, you're equally sinful, uh, and we have to pray about it together. You keep my secret, I'll keep yours. So the child is made to feel complicit in their own uh, victimization. So that's one aspect. Uh, but even if religion is not incorporated into the abuse, oftentimes survivors have spiritual questions. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I asked God to stop the abuse, but the abuse kept happening. So what does that say about God or me or both? Or they may just have theological conundrums. You mentioned, you know, issues of forgiveness and just moving on, and that may be uh, something they've heard from the pulpit. And Jesus says to Peter, you know, seven times uh, uh, is not enough. You got to forgive uh, an infinite number of times, and so they begin to process that. I can't forgive my dad or my mom or grandpa or or the coach or whoever it is that hurt me, and and so does that mean there's something wrong uh, with me? And if they do reach out to a faith community because the faith community is often so poorly educated on trauma-informed care, uh, many faith leaders muck it up. Uh, uh, they often make uh, the situation uh, worse. And so um, 
all of those are, are things we need to, to address. Yeah, and how we're responding to to the abuse, absolutely. Um, and, and something that you talk about are spiritual blocks, which is basically a lot of what you've said, where because maybe these things took place and either they were enabled through spiritual language or they were bypassed through spiritual language, it creates a lot of confusion, um, maybe even bitterness and shame around maybe a person's faith experience or relationship with God. Um, and so could you share with us what might be spiritual blocks or what are some examples of spiritual blocks that a person may have because of these experiences that they've had? Sure. I'll give you a, um, a really egregious example and a more moderate example, but uh, both of which are, are conveying the same concept. So I, I can tell that in a case where a religious leader was encouraging uh, parishioners to stand up and confess their sins, and this man stands up and confesses that he was sexually abusing his children, and the religious leader then asks the children to stand up and confess their role in their own victimization, and then announces God's forgiveness and said, nobody's allowed to talk about it. If you do, you could lose the grace of God. You could go uh, to hell. Well, those children had a huge block. Uh, they thought uh, they'd go to hell if they uh, told the truth about their own uh, victimization. So that's a really egregious example uh, uh, driven by uh, a religious uh, leader. A more subtle example, I consulted on a case in a Christian school where adolescent doesn't come back for recess and teacher goes to find her and discovers her in the girl's lavatory crying and the teacher says, hey, what's going on? And she says, I think God is really, really mad at me and begins to share that she, she was sexually abused by uh, a teacher at that uh, Christian uh, school. And, and, and you know, the teacher was uh, leading her to believe that she was equally to blame, equally sinful uh, uh, because of the dynamics in, involved. So she internalized that and was very scared, very reluctant to talk about it because she felt uh, she was uh, equally uh, to blame. Um, and, and so these often impair victims from sharing their experience. We know even without a spiritual block, 50% of sexually abused children lie uh, to investigators and say I wasn't sexually abused, uh, even though they, they were because they're afraid of uh, the aftermath. Now you put on top of uh, their other fears, the potential fear of being condemned by their church or even by uh, God or getting into trouble with uh, religious members or their family and their neighborhood. It, it, it often keeps children very, very quiet. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey guys, we're going to get right back to the conversation because trust me, I know you'll want to hear the whole thing. But I quickly wanted to share with you this exciting new partnership I have with BetterHelp. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P. One of the questions I get asked a lot are how you can go about starting therapy. A number of you are located around the country and even around the world. And as helpful as I often like to be, sometimes I find myself limited in being able to provide the one-on-one resources that you need. Well, I'm happy to say that one option I can share with you today is BetterHelp's online therapy and counseling services with licensed mental health professionals. 
since I know a lot of you guys want more faith-based counseling as well, I'm even more excited to share that they also have another service called Faithful Counseling, which has licensed Christian therapists and counselors who are certified by their state, where you can receive licensed counseling using your computer, tablet, or mobile phone through video calls, phone calls, or text messaging. So I use BetterHelp Therapy. I've been using it myself, and it's been super convenient, you know, between school, work, and really just having someone to check in with on a regular basis has been so important for my own mental health. So what happens is when you sign up, you'd be matched with a counselor in 24 hours or less, and you can securely message your counselor anytime, any day, you know, day or night, and get replies within 24 to 48 hours. BetterHelp also has groupinar sessions every week where you can learn in groups directly from licensed counselors on multiple topics like relationships and ways to overcome anxiety. Uh, I also found out that financial aid is available for those who qualify and you can apply for financial aid during the sign up process. Hello. Additionally, listeners of the Faith and Mental Wellness podcast like you get 10% off of their first month using my specific link in the show notes below. And like I said, I know a number of you are around the world. BetterHelp is available worldwide. And if you want to get started and get matched with a counselor within the next 24 hours, I have links to both BetterHelp and Faithful Counseling in the show notes. I should mention that it is not a crisis line, okay? If you are experiencing a crisis, I have a link to all the crisis lines by country in the show notes as well. Check it out and let me know what you think. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. What I'm hearing is that, you know, these spiritual blocks, one, are, are apparently shaped by our experiences of the abuse of the trauma, maybe the manipulation, and it, and the messages that we've internalized from those experiences really root in our core beliefs and what we believe about God and our relationship with God and even his relationship with us, how loved we are, how worthy we are, um, how much we belong, which, you know, affects everything, our, our relationships, our view of ourselves and how we move through the world. And so, um, these spiritual blocks are like core beliefs that, that kind of paint everything and that's core beliefs run your life. Yeah. And it's critical to reframe all of that. Uh, we know from research that, uh, it appears that the answer to bad theology is good theology, and the offender always uses bad theology, and many times the church also uses bad uh, theology, sometimes just out of ignorance and, and, and because they, they were not well taught on the uh, uh, subject. Um, uh, but there is research saying that, um, you know, if a, uh, a really uh, toxic theological construct was used against you, it would be helpful to reframe that. So as a simple example, I consulted on a case where a minister was sexually abusing his own daughter, and the little girl said, Dad, this is wrong, it's sinful. And the father said, well, there are exceptions. And then he opens the Bible to the account of the creation of the world in the book of Genesis and says, see, when it was just Adam and Eve, God used uh, sexual uh, conduct in the family to populate the earth, and after the great flood, again, God used incest to repopulate the earth. Well, you know, uh, daughter, how often uh, God comes to us in a dream in the Bible. Well, God has come to me and said we need to repopulate the community from, from within. Now, that's that's pretty toxic uh, theology. Uh, so how do you, how do you undo that? Uh, it would be not 
giving the child an answer, but leading the child to answers that may uh, be comforting to them. So in that scenario, you might say, well, let's look at the Bible story of the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. What What is the devil doing? The devil's quoting the Bible. Well, what do we know from that? Well, I guess not everybody quoting the Bible is accurately representing God. And, and what does Jesus do in response? Well, uh, he quotes scripture. He put it, it puts it in context. So let's apply that to your situation. Uh, your dad uh, clearly was taking scripture out of context. He was giving uh, the wrong uh, lessons. God does not uh, sanction the sexual abuse of children. Uh, let's look at other uh, sections the Bible that gives us clues as to what God really uh, thinks. The bedroom millstone reference in the Gospel of Mark. Many scholars from Oxford and Harvard and other prestigious institutions believe Jesus was specifically condemning the sin of child sexual abuse. Even those that have a broader reading say it still comes up unequivocally uh, as Jesus condemning uh, anyone who would harm a child. That's what God really believes. Or let's look at the account of David and uh, Bathsheba, so often misinterpreted two-thirds of Bible commentaries, according to one analysis, want to cast equal blame on Bathsheba. You can't support that in the text. Early on, the text says, well, all the kings are away at war. David is up to mischief. David is up uh, to no good. His mind, his eyes are uh, straying. Bathsheba's not doing anything wrong. She's doing a ritual uh, bath, showing uh, her uh, uh, allegiance uh, to, to her Jewish uh, tradition. She's not doing anything wrong. And, and, and she gets summoned by the king, and she has no option. She has no power in this situation. Situation. David could kill her as he, in fact, killed her uh, 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 husband. And then when God intervenes and sends Nathan, he doesn't send Nathan to Bathsheba. He sends Nathan to uh, David and says, you are the man. You are the man who committed these atrocities. You alone are responsible. So a good a reading of that is God understands the exploitation of women and children or others who are vulnerable, and God holds exclusively uh, uh, the person in power, the offender, uh, accountable, and and appreciates that uh, the victim has has no power in these situations. So, you know, we need to have a more trauma-informed uh, reading of Scripture, and actually, if we do that, we'll. Uh, maybe reach the conclusion that God really was inspiring uh, the text, because the text is often very different than what our human minds uh, read into these words. Right, right. I, I, I appreciate what you're saying about the reframing and what I would even call deconstruction in yeah. some way, which is a, for a very, I don't know, hot topic ter- word right now. But a lot of the people who I find who are quote-unquote deconstructing their beliefs it's usually because they experience something toxic or they experience a toxic and harmful theology that is not biblical. It's only spun in its own context. And so they are deconstructing a lot of what you said, these toxic beliefs that have been taught into a healthier and more mature and sustainable um, faith that, that is still rooted scripturally. And then you have some people who just walk away from the faith entirely or they walk away from the church entirely which is also understandable if that's the context in which they were harmed Um, but something that you speak about is actually the role of spirituality in coping with abuse that spirituality um, that your faith can also be used as a means of coping Um, faith may be where the injury is but faith can also be a tool for healing can you share a little bit more about that Sure. Um, As I said earlier, there's a large body of research documenting that most, not all, but most uh, uh, maltreated children are impacted spiritually 
that's the bad news. The good news is there's also a, a large and growing body of research saying a healthy sense of spirituality uh, can assist us in coping with trauma. In fact, uh, some studies indicate it may be the most important source of resilience. I believe, uh, Brittany, you once had Dr. Thema uh, Bryant-Davis uh, on as a, a guest. She wrote a whole yeah. literature review uh, on these uh, particular uh, studies. Um, so those survivors who are able to cope spiritually, who do deconstruct, who do reframe, who do come to the conclusion, hey, uh, the church, my religious leaders, they may not be on my side, but, but God is. Uh, and they often find uh, comfort in uh, parts of the sacred text that many people just ignore. So uh, uh, I've had survivors say, I love Jesus because Jesus is a descendant of sexually exploited women, David and mm. Bathsheba. We mentioned that. Well, Bathsheba is one of the uh, ancestors of, of Jesus and um, uh, Tamar and uh, Rahab and others that are sexually exploited, uh, we're told in, in one of the two lineages, are, uh, are, are, are part of the ancestry of Jesus. So it's in the DNA of Jesus, uh, the very uh, uh, blood of God for those who believe Jesus is God, and and survivors often find things like that and and see it as a uh, as a source of 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 comfort. Um, and if they can, it may be the most important uh, buffer. There was a study by John Hopkins finding even without meaningful medical and mental health intervention, if you have a healthy sense of uh, spirituality, it uh, can help you in both the short and and long uh, term. And why that is is open to debate, but I, I think the reason it is, uh, is spirituality is how we make meaning uh, uh, out of suffering. Uh, Viktor Frankl said it's not suffering that is unbearable, it's suffering without meaning, and a healthy sense of spirituality can can help us make meaning of, uh, of re, uh, even really horrible things that may happen uh, to us. Um, in any event, uh, we, we know it's uh, very uh, powerful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, gosh, we definitely need more conversation about this. I love the idea of reading scripture or looking at scripture from a trauma-informed lens, because when you begin to do that, like with all the examples that you listed, you see that there are all ways and of experiences that are woven through scripture of instances of trauma and abuse and how the Lord does also come to to comfort and to side with the victimized and to side with the abused. That being said, and just being more sensitive, being more aware of the role of trauma and especially of spiritual trauma, which in the church that's what we need the most awareness of, you know, being spiritual caretakers in the community. What do you believe healthy spiritual care looks like and, and just how can we deal with spiritual injuries better in the church today? First of all, uh, um, a ministry of of presence can be comforting. Uh, think of the women at the cross. It must have been comforting to Jesus not to to die alone. So just being present with a survivor and 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 being able uh, to listen uh, proactively um, can be uh, comforting. So you know, uh, sounds simple, but but don't interrupt and truly uh, listen. Um, Second of all, uh, take a, a, a one day at a time, even a, a one hour at a time approach. Uh, uh, you may work with a survivor who has so many challenges. They uh, may, because of the trauma, have uh, challenges with uh, drugs or alcohol or their marriages. Uh, 
uh, failing uh, or uh, a whole host of other issues, and it seems overwhelming. And so a good response is, you know, I'm not sure what to say or what to do, but I'm going to stick with you uh, uh, until we figure it out together and, and let the survivor know you, you'll be there uh, uh, for as long as it uh, takes or you're willing to go uh, through the dark uh, valley uh, so the survivor doesn't have to uh, walk along, alone. Uh, third, to have really good connections. Some faith leaders think they can do this all by themselves. Well, you're, you're a faith leader. You, you have uh, some education perhaps in spiritual uh, care, but you're not a mental health provider. Uh, you're not uh, a chemical addic uh, addiction uh, a professional. Uh, you may have very little knowledge on what to do if somebody has suicidal ideations. So well before the survivor comes into your office, have uh, uh, a good network of people you can refer uh, to. I encourage uh, faith leaders to have a good working relationship with their local children's advocacy center. 90% of the U.S. population is covered with a children's advocacy center, and that CAC meets federal standards for medical care, mental health care, victim advocacy for survivors. So get in your car, go there, make a visit, make a tour, uh, talk uh, to these professionals and say, who would you uh, recommend uh, for uh, care for uh, a survivor of abuse and have that uh, in advance so that you can make good uh, trauma-informed uh, referrals. Next, I would say... Um, um, have, have a realistic uh, posture uh, and, and never force the survivor uh, to come back uh, to church. Church may be a trigger, right? Um, I worked with a survivor who was sexually abused on the church altar. She told me I can't go to church because they have altars. It's a trigger, right? Um, and, and so listening to the survivor and thinking creatively, well, what would allow you to reconnect uh, uh, that um, uh, a survivor who, who, who was violated on the altar told me she reconnected by uh, finding a church that uh, said we're going to have a, a series of house churches, right? Uh, uh, you know, Jesus uh, uh, and the uh, disciples, they weren't uh, going to uh, uh, huge churches with stained glass window and smoke right. and, uh, you know, gigantic uh, uh, altars and the like. It was, let's get together at a house. Let's get together on a hillside. Jesus said, where two or three are, are gathered, that's church, right? You and I, Brittany, are in church as we uh, talk about uh, these these things, right? And so have a more realistic uh, posture and don't force the victim to, you know, to fit into your traditional view of, of, of church. Have a, uh, a sense of church that would meet the survivor wherever she or he or they uh, may be uh, at. I think that's uh, a really important uh, uh, as well. Um, and, you know, survivors often know uh, what they need a whole lot more than we do. And, and so ask them, what, what can I do that would be most uh, helpful to you? Uh, uh, I worked with a survivor who stopped going to church because a pastor started to play a certain hymn and the pastor didn't know that that was a hymn her dad hummed to her during her sexual abuse and so it was a trigger and he, he just goes and meets with her and says hey what can I do to help you uh, reconnect and she said promise you'll never play that hymn and I'll come back to church so um, you know listening to the survivor and saying you know what would be comforting uh, uh, to you and the last thing I would say is to have a realistic expectation of what recovery looks like. A lot of pastors want 
uh, oh, uh, you tell me the uh, issue, I'll say a prayer, I'll give you a Bible verse, you'll be better soon. It's like two, two aspirin, you'll be better tomorrow. That's unrealistic. It's more of a up and down, day in and day out uh, struggle. You may uh, 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 struggle with the trauma until the day you, you leave this uh, earth. And so have a realistic understanding of what uh, trauma may be, and it may be a day in and day out struggle for, for the entire life of, uh, of a survivor and, and have that realistic expectation. Oh, I love everything that you've said. And I, gosh, it's just like things that you don't hear a lot of that you think we should be hearing and understanding. Um, I love that you said it's important to stick with victims and stick with survivors through the journey that can be up and down, especially when it they may not be able to um, come to church. It might be a very visceral experience because there's a trigger tied to that faith environment. And I've seen circumstances where, again, their spiritual bypassing used like, you know, well, scripture says to not forsake the gathering of the saints, right? And, and different things that are being said that actually inadvertently shame the person and from going to church, but also makes it seem like they're either in rebellion or they're in a fallen or backslidden state when really there is a host of dynamics that is going on within them where trauma or manipulation um, has taken place alongside faith that is just more dynamic and nuanced and, it, and it's not so black and white. And so I love what you said about meeting people where they are, they are and even just listening or asking questions because how would he know that playing that hymn is actually a trigger for someone versus, you know, oh, they, you might, there might be an assumption, oh, they didn't come to church because, you know, they're a church hopper or, you know, they don't, maybe it's a, they see it as a reflection of their faith when really there's a lot more going on that we have to be understanding about. And so I'm really, really grateful that you articulated that. And I hope that this awareness and understanding is creating a shift. Um, because also with victims, it can create a, a, a faith crisis within ourselves of feeling like, am I backslidden? Am I in rebellion? You know, do I have a lack of faith when really you're a human being who's experienced an injury um, and you're in healing and recovery and that takes time and that's a process. And so that being said, just kind of on a final note here, do you have any do you have any words or words of encouragement for maybe someone who has experienced religious trauma or spiritual abuse that is kind of in that hanging in that balance that you've been speaking about or maybe is living in fear that they're separated from God now and are they going to go to hell because they haven't gone to church or because of you know, their faith is in dissonance, you know, with their ex lived experience. Um, any encouragement for that person listening? Yeah, I, I, I would, I would say to survivors, um, um, uh, focus less on the church and more on oh God. There's often a, a huge difference between the, the two. So if you've endured a religious uh, trauma, uh, uh, know that that uh, is the sin of the church and, and um, uh, God expects you to distance from 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 evil things that are, are hurtful that are uh, toxic um, and 
Second, I would say God is big enough to handle all of our emotions. Uh, folks often misread uh, Job that he had this extraordinary patience. He actually got really angry at God, and God was big enough to take it uh, at the end of the account. Uh, God uh, calls Job, uh, Job his righteous uh, brother, and uh, God is scolding uh, the religious leaders who are trying to find uh, something in Job's background to blame him for uh, for the trauma that he was uh, enduring. Uh, anyone who's read the Psalms knows God's big enough to handle our anger, our raw uh, emotions, uh, and that doesn't uh, distance us from God. It often draws us into uh, uh, into God, who uh, uh, him, himself uh, uh, understands suffering at a uh, at a really high uh, level. Um, third, I, I would say, um, at least for the Christians, to 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 really. Uh, get to know what, what Jesus had to say on this subject. I My thesis for seminary was to study what, if anything, Jesus said about child abuse and how did the early church interpret that. I mentioned the Better Millstone uh, reference earlier, which many uh, uh, accomplished scholars believe was a very specific reference to child uh, sexual uh, abuse. Uh, but Jesus talked about children all the uh, time, and it was so countercultural in in the world in which Jesus was uh, walking. Uh, children were regarded uh, 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 to be quite uh, low. Uh, the Roman uh, Greco community thought uh, uh, they were no better than mules, and that's why you had to, to, to beat them. Uh, the Roman Greco community often sexually exploited children. It's perfectly lawful to kill uh, your child if you uh, wanted to, to do so. Um, and that's the world Jesus was born into. And as soon as Jesus is born into that world, the world tries to kill the baby. Uh, and, and yet God uh, issues a warning and um, Mary and Joseph and the wise men act uh, to protect uh, uh, Jesus. So Jesus you know, understands child abuse at a high level. He was a near victim of infanticide. He grew up in a world where uh, children were treated quite cruelly. And yet he was countercultural to all of that, even going so far as to say uh, to his followers, this is it. This is the fault line. Uh, children are messengers from God. How you treat the child says what you really think about uh, me. Even by today's standards, that's uh, radical. It's off the charts radical in the time uh, that Jesus uh, uttered uh, that. And, and so Jesus is there on the side of the vulnerable and the suffering and uh, is pursuing the, the lost uh, sheep, even if the church is not um, uh, 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 engaged. And then I guess lastly, if you do want to reconnect to your faith community, search for someone who is trauma-informed. Uh, so maybe start out by saying, do you have child protection policies? Do you have a connection to your uh, children's advocacy center? Have you ever preached on this subject? Uh, um, I think a good benchmark is, tell me your interpretation of David and Bathsheba. And if they don't get it, uh, um, and they're not willing to learn, uh, then find somebody who is trauma-informed. Uh, it's it's a small number, but there is a faithful uh, remnant of clergy out there who are really engaged uh, with this uh, subject and, and, and search for those uh, um, if you want to re reconnect. Amen. And if they are not trained in it, Victor and, and, and GraceNet and what you guys are doing, um, they have trainings. They have, I mean, listening to podcasts like these, having conversations like these and referring people to these conversations. Uh, the conversations are out there. The research is out there. The theological understanding is out there. We are in a day and age where it is probably talked about and more accessible than ever. And so um, even just being willing to introduce the conversation, maybe if it 
isn't taking place in your church, if they're willing to learn, um, being plugged into resources like this. And we're going to have some of those links in the show notes to Victor's work. Uh, so Victor, how can those who are listening stay connected to you and follow along with the work that you're doing? Yeah, the secular organization I work for is uh, Zero Abuse Project. So zeroabuseproject.org. Uh, uh, you can find us on the website. You can fill out a form. Uh, you can follow us on social uh, media. Um, and you mentioned Grace. I'm on the board of directors of Grace, God's Response to Abuse in the Christian Environment. Uh, uh, that's a good organization to, to follow on social media and be engaged uh, with. Uh, and if uh, any of your listeners are in the Jewish community, um, uh, I'm also on the board of directors of Sacred Spaces, and their website is jewishsacredspaces.org, and they have a wealth of resources as uh, as well. So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, good resources uh, uh, out there. I love that because it because abuse and mental health challenges do not discriminate no matter what your belief is, no matter what faith community you're in. We know that research has shown that individuals in distress will often turn to their faith community before they ever step foot to a mental health professional. So I so appreciate the work that you're doing really on the front lines of this issue and specifically in the faith community. So thank you so much for your time and sharing your wisdom and your knowledge and resources with us. Uh, We really appreciate you and thank you guys for tuning in. Until next time.